Oh, so <clears throat> who sees their parents in themselves or, or your significant other or something says you're just like your mum or dad or something like that? Okay, all right. Uh, you like your mum or dad more? Dad, okay. Anyone else like that? Oh, hang on. I see a sister here. So <laughs> I didn't know you were here. Hi. There you go. Is that true? Yeah, right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, good, eh? Oh, we won't ask Katie. No, no, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway yeah, are people not like your parents at all? Oh, sorry, not that you don't like them. I mean, that may be the case, but but <laughs> you're not... Hmm? Okay, all right. Okay. Uh, yeah, there may be things that have gone on and difficult family situations and things. I've heard a little bit of your story before, but um, yeah, uh, some sad moments there. Uh, I reflected myself through the week, and I... I, I'm a lot like my dad, uh, for good or ill. Uh, he's a quirky dude, um, and so my odd sense of humour, uh, my love of puzzles. Uh, he used to sit us down at the kitchen table as kids, and uh, we, we, you know those maths quizzes that you do once a year, you know, kind of compete against the state? We did them for fun. Okay, well, he did them for fun and we joined in with it. So, uh, and stuff, and we just sit there fascinated because we, we didn't go in those things because we were still in primary school as a high school thing so we were doing all these high school math problems and just play, we played Scrabble together and just uh, learning interesting random facts about history and the world and 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 that's me all over. Um, I became an electrical engineer because because of those kind of things uh, and my love of board games the most important no it's not the most important thing in my life uh, that, I, that all stems from from him I mean I think of soccer as the greatest of football codes um, because Dad thought union and league were for thugs. Um, that's what he was taught by his parents growing up. I mean, he was in England and they really were thugs. But uh, 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 and we watched the English. Well, it's not the it wasn't the English Premier League at the time, but the um, First Division uh, English soccer. We we used to watch that and support Liverpool. Um, he, he's a tinkerer, uh, tinkers with things all the time. He tries new things. Uh, he's got a fascination with just learning random stuff, uh, and and that's all him. Uh, he's the one to blame for it all. Uh, <laughs> but I think the most profound influences in my life have not been my mum and dad as life has gone on, uh, because in my late teens I became a Christian. Uh, at high school my parents aren't Christian at all. They don't, they're not interested. They're not uh, supportive uh, of that kind of thing. They're not. I've got supportive parents in life in general, but they they don't they don't know how to deal with this aspect of it. But it was the more mature Christians who who took an interest in me, uh, who encouraged me, who sometimes rebuked me, who taught me, who prayed for me, who prayed with me, who shared with me stuff they were learning from the Scripture, who were used by God to bring about uh, some really profound changes over the years and get established as a Christian in good patterns of living who helped me to understand and start to live out what it means to be a Christian in every aspect of my life. And, and it wasn't just paid ministers who had to do it because that was their job. I mean, there have been some really good influences uh, from those kind of guys as well, but, but congregation members, uh, youth leaders, uh, I don't know anyone significant youth leaders or anything like that was significant in your life, um, uh, some mates and some older mates from uni, from uni Bible studies and things like that. Uh, some, some of the people were only a couple of years uh, older than me, but it ran right through to 90-something-year-olds, as I'll share with you a bit later on, uh, who all had the time, took the time and had the care to invest in the life 
of this young Christian man, and many people like that are still investing in me today. Uh, but what I never realised at the time was that these Christians were taking God's call on their lives very seriously and were modelling a supremely important facet of church life that the older should shape the younger, uh, nurturing their faith, setting the example, engaging with them, giving advice and help in constructive ways so that they can learn what it means to belong to Jesus as his child, as his servant, uh, in every aspect and every day of their lives. Now, if you weren't aware, tonight we've got confirmation. Uh, and some of you don't come from churches that have had that in the past. Uh, confirmation, you know, the equivalent of kind of adult baptism, I guess, in a Baptist church. Um, but a bunch of our church members are going to stand up in front of their church, their family, their friends, uh, their God, uh, and declare their allegiance to Jesus Christ uh, and that they intend to remain his all their lives, that they're going to trust him, they understand what the gospel is all about, they're going to follow him, and they're going to uh, renounce the devil, the world, and the flesh. There you go. <laughs> the three great enemies of the Christian, the flesh, the world, and the devil. Your flesh is sinful desires and temptations, uh, the world that's going to be opposed to you being a Christian, uh, and the devil who's behind it all. Uh, that's the, the big promises they're going to make tonight. And it's going to be, well, five o'clock, potluck dinner, come along. It's going to be super encouraging. The bishop will be here. You get to hang out with the bishop, uh, if that fascinates you. Uh, and seven o'clock's the service. Uh, it's going to be really, really good. Um, but given it's mostly younger Christians who are standing up there tonight making these big promises, I thought it would be worthwhile at morning church uh, for we who are by, um, by and large older and hopefully wiser Christians to reflect on this uh, vital principle the Bible speaks of about church, uh, but which I think our society uh, resents. And resists particularly the younger people do <laughs> out there, uh, that the older should model and shape the younger. Although I know in the business world, uh, the ideas of mentoring and coaching and that kind of thing are really the hot thing at the moment at the big end of town. Okay, getting someone who's you know ten years, twenty years ahead of you to come and give you tips on how to be a good manager, or a good lawyer, or a good whatever, uh, and so that's that's interesting. But it's really a Bible idea of how the older are to shape the younger. And I want to take us to this letter of Titus to see it in action. And I, I want to show you three things from it. Uh, first one, very quickly, uh, Paul was an older Christian and minister and missionary. Did it with Titus. And so the whole letter of Titus, he's this older Christian missionary writing to this younger Christian minister to tell him how to go about his work. And so the whole letter is, is doing exactly that. It's the older mentoring the younger. But second, so the, the situation is that um, they were companions. There was uh, uh, Paul and he had a bunch of younger guys, Titus, Timothy, Silas. Uh, there was Barnabas, who we're named after at one point, Mark. Uh, they were all kind of his gang of boys, uh, and yeah, they, over the different times. Um, but Titus um, was his companion, and he's been left behind in Crete, where a bunch of people have become Christians. Uh, and Titus, now Titus's job to set up the church in the different towns in Crete. And so the letter is really about Titus. Here's how you go about it. Here's how you set up new churches. Uh, and so. Uh, there, this is Paul's advice to him. Uh, and in chapter 1, the first thing that Titus has to do is appoint leaders for each of these churches, uh, people who are called elders. 
And I wonder if you've ever thought about it. Why would you call the church leadership elders? Why do they have that title? What does it mean? What's an elder? Someone who's older, right? You've got to appoint the elders. Now, you think, how do you appoint elders? Surely that's something you sort of just become, right? You, you get there because you didn't kill yourself along the way. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like you don't have to appoint an elder because you just get elder. Uh, it's kind of interesting, but here's this, this position of leadership and he's got to appoint them. And he's clearly talking about people who are going to be the leaders and teachers of the church. So why, why are they called elders? Well, because they're meant to be further along in the faith, right? They're, they're meant to be older and wiser, more mature. It's about maturity. And so Titus is supposed to be looking for people who are in general older uh, and wiser, or at least older and wiser in the faith, even if they're not physically, you know, by age and what year they were born, older and wiser. People who've sorted out their lives as Christians. Uh, one of the hilarious things you can do when a Mormon missionary knocks on your door is um, ask them uh, how old they are. And then when they tell you that they're 18, you say, well, how come you're called Elder? There you go, Elder Smith or Elder Johnson. So, you know, I'm twice as old as you. How, you're not my older <laughs> kind of thing. And it really confuses them. But anyway. <laughs> Because they're like, but but I'm an elder because I, I miss, yeah, anyway, but you're not elder because, well, you're meant to be more mature. Um, now, it's not necessarily just about age. There are some younger Christians who are quite mature in their faith and life, and they might be suitable. But Titus is to be looking for these people who he's going to appoint to be the elders, people who are going to be responsible and who nurture those who they lead. And we're told what the most important categories are for choosing elders. I mean, if you're thinking about who, you know, if you go to a church plan or something, who's going to be running the show and, or, you know, setting up Bible study leaders or, or whatever thing, what, what do you look for? The two most important things are character and convictions. Okay, it's the character and convictions. Their character, that is their godly life. And their convictions, that is their understanding and trust in the, in the deep truths of Scripture. That they, they've reflected on it, they, they know their stuff. So have a look, Titus chapter 1, uh, pick up verse 5. The reason I left you, Titus, in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless. The husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. Now, which one of that, those things there uh, is that not to be the case for every Christian? Have a look. You know, are we, okay, it's okay for the people who aren't elders to be violent. Is that, is that right? Uh, or pursue dishonest gain. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, just because you're not on the parish council means you can go ripping people off. You know, they're, they're just general issues of godliness. So they're, they're model Christians, right? People who've kind of good examples, uh, and that, they're all about character and what they're like. Uh, verse nine. They've also got to hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught, so that they can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those. Who oppose it. So it's not their awesome skills or their spiritual gifting 
or their charisma, or their winning smile, or their uh, how funny they are, like me, uh, or how driven they are, and they trample everyone to get there. That, the things which most people um, use to get to the top in the world. And sadly, that's the case in many churches as well, right? The, we pick on the wrong things. Um, but it's got to be their character and their convictions that are the most important things, the most important qualities. And why? Why are the character and convictions? Why does that trump, you know, skill set and humour and all those kind of stuff? Anyone? What do you reckon? Yeah? Sure, yep. There's some depth there. There's, yeah, you've matured into it. You can learn skills though, can't you? Uh, to a point, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are people who are naturally gifted in different areas of ministry and so on, but they're not necessarily the ones you want in charge just because I'm a really awesome preacher. If my life is all messed up and I'm not a good example to follow, well, I'll, who's going who's gonna to believe what I say? Um and and if you believe the wrong things, you can lead hundreds, thousands of people astray by your ministry, right? So character and convictions are really, really fundamental because you're going to be a model. Uh, they're held up as models of Christian virtue and they're going to be teaching others about God and how to know him and, and they're going to be having to defend the church from error when false teaching and the lies of the world inevitably start to creep in and take over. And so they've got to know their stuff. That's what leadership in the church is going to be about, modelling, shepherding, protecting. And so Titus has to pick the right people, and the right people are people with the right character and the right convictions. Um, going back to the Mormons, it's very interesting. Uh, you talk to the elders, who are really young, uh, and confuse them about that. You ask them you know, what the elders who went before them a couple of years ago are like now, and I bet you, because it happens every time I've asked, they're all sleeping around, drunk and stuff. They are not these things. You get, you have to be an elder going on missionary service just because you were part of the family. It's got nothing to do with character or convictions. Uh, and they're going home and just living it up and stuff. I've done my time. Uh, so it's a fascinating. You say, well, how, can, how does your message change anything about your life? There's a good, good test anyway. But it's not like these elders are the only ones who are going to be the models of what it means to be Christians. And so Titus has got to do something else. He's, he's not just sorting out the church leadership. But in chapter 2 and verse 1, Titus has to do something else that's incredibly important. He's got to teach something. Uh, and we're given the what, the who, uh, and the why of this teaching that he's got to give. And so let's start with the what. What has he got to teach? You, however, 2 verse 1, you, however, Titus, must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Okay? It's got to match up with, your, with the convictions, right? You've got to, you've got, it's all got to flow out from that. And as it goes on, it's really interesting, that's what we read before, it's all really down-to-earth, really practical stuff about family and alcohol and, and self-control and so on. And you might think, well, how do they go together? How, how does knowing how does highfalutin words and, and theological truth have anything to do with um, how you live to please God and whether you're, you're a good wife or husband? And the answer is it's got everything to do with it or you've been doing it wrong. Um, uh, you see it in chapter 1 right at the start of the book. Uh, how, how knowing the truths of God and living a changed life uh, are intricately bound up together. 
And so, start of the book, Paul's just saying hi, introducing himself as he normally does. But Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. That's interesting, isn't it? So Paul and the other apostles have been given by God and, and they're preaching the gospel. Why? So that, so that other people, like us, uh, could believe it and could know the truth and notice it has to then change you because it's the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Okay? Uh, and so if you're not being transformed by the gospel, then you, I take it you haven't really understood it. Or you've not really believed it. Uh, you can't have one without the other. If you want to know what it means to live for God as a Christian, well, you've got to know more and more these deep and profound and sometimes difficult truths of the Scripture of creation and redemption and and uh, you know uh, you know things that we we might struggle with, like predestination or eschatology or any of these other sort of big terms, but. But at the same time, if you just get caught up and bogged down in the intellectual questions of faith and then you never reflect on how that impacts on your life, if it never changes you, well, you're doing theology wrong. And so Paul takes Titus and asks through how this sound doctrine should be playing out in the lives of people of different ages and different stages of Christians. And that's the who of Titus is supposed to teach He's got to teach these different ages and stages of Christian how, how it is that being a Christian impacts them. Now, I don't think he lists the different things he's going to list uh, for the different groups because the other people don't have to worry about that stuff. So he's going to mention alcohol to one group particularly. Um, does that mean the others don't have to worry about that? They can, ah, whatever. <laughs> no, I, I think he's identifying particular issues that happen on your gender and at your stage of life. Okay, and so he's got his finger on the pulse uh, and he's pointing out some of the direct challenges that each of the groups faces, uh, but not, I mean, other people might have to work on them too. But I'm just going to run through a couple of them. Older men. What's the biggest challenges for older Christian men? What accords with sound doctrine for them? And thankfully, of course, there are no older men here, right? Because that's the eight o'clock, is it? I think it's all relative, right? Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Uh, temperate. Temperate, that's a funny word, isn't it? Don't use that very often. Basically, it means two things. One very specific thing and one quite general thing. Uh, specifically, being temperate means being really, really cautious in your use of alcohol. Okay, who's ever heard of the temperance movement? Yeah, a few more people at ten o'clock than at eight o'clock, which is surprising because some of them are of the age when it existed. Well, there still there still is a temperance movement around today, but it's it's very small. Temperance movement is all about um, teetotaling, okay, being a teetotaler. Uh, but anyway, and so temperate means being very very cautious at, at the very least with the use of alcohol. It doesn't necessarily mean being a teetotaler. But it's certainly saying don't overindulge, don't become addicted. Uh, don't let alcohol control your life. Uh, you've got to have that aspect of your life as an older Christian man under control. But uh, more generally it means being sober-minded, clear thinking, uh, being clear-headed and thoughtful, not given to distraction. And, and you, you know what life's on about and you know what God wants and, you, and you're living that out. You, you're, you, you know, you, you're sober in everything that you do. 
Uh, that's temperate. Worthy of respect. No, it means, oh, Christian, you, we've got to we've got to be someone who's able to be looked up to, um, someone who other people can and should admire. Uh, includes things like being take, being someone who who others take seriously. You know, you can't just be the fool all the time. Uh, it means having a demeanour and a character that's honourable and it's commendable. Uh, it's being someone that people think makes worthwhile contributions, uh, I guess, to, to their lives or their, their groups or the community. In other words, it's being someone who's a model for other Christians to look up to and model themselves. And so, you know, you pick the elders uh, based on that, but every older man is meant to be that kind of way, right? Someone who's respectable and worthy, you know. Someone who the younger Christians, particularly the younger men, can say, I want to be like that one day. That's a man who knows God, who's got it all worked out, and I want to be like that. Uh, Self-controlled, we'll come back to that one a bit later because that's the one thing that affects all the different groups. Uh, And finally, they've got to be sound in three areas. He says they've got to be sound in faith, in love and endurance. Sound means uh, being whole, uh, being rock solid in these areas, um, you know, not being diseased or dysfunctional in them. Uh, they've got to be sound in faith, that is, they've, they've thought hard about what's true and what's not true in relation to Jesus. You know, they've got the facts worked out. And they've committed themselves then to God's truth. Uh, they've got to be sound in love. Uh, that means they're solidly living in self-sacrificial service for others, um, for their family, their church, their community. Uh, we were talking about true love in the Song of Songs right at the end. It's not you know, being giddy with excitement. It's, it's giving yourself for the good of others. Um, uh, sound in endurance. Uh, that is, they're going to have to be the ones who, who really take the brunt and standing firm uh, in the struggle to live as believers in the face of a rough world of opposition and temptation. They're, they're going to have to take the lead in their determination to remain faithful to Jesus, be the first ones to speak up, uh, and show how to go on when things are getting tough. So what's the, build, the picture he's building up here of the older Christian man? It's certainly not a cranky old codger, is it? <laughs> right? Or the, the red-nosed drunkard, you know? Uh, or the retiree who's just off entertaining himself while he waits for death in never-ending rounds of golf and fishing and selfishness. That's, that's the opposite of the kind of things he's saying here. I'm not saying don't enjoy those things from time to time, but you, you're not, it's not your life's investing in those. He's the picture of a man who's, who's in control of his faculties, who's servant-hearted and not begrudging, a man who is in private what he says he is in public, a man that others can and will look up to and model themselves on. That's what it means to be an older Christian man. Well, what about the older Christian women? What, what's being a Christian and sound doctrine going to confront them on? Well, verse 3, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Uh, reverent in the way they live. Um, it's about demeanour. It includes the way you speak um, that's respectful and measured and uh, in, in ways that aren't spiteful or hateful, that's kind. Uh, it includes the way you act that's kind-hearted and considerate. Yeah, you know, it's not burning the cranky old sourpuss. Uh, not slanderers. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, God talks about the way that older ladies uh, uh, are often renowned for being gossips and busybodies. 
and stuff. And uh, I'll tell you who's a real gospel and you know, The lady does it right, just you know, it's, you know. That, yeah, it's, <laughs> that he says that's not to be the case, right? And here's, here's Paul. Uh, he Paul talking about the way you speak about people that's not running them down or not, you know, backbiting and you know talking about behind back or causing division. Uh, not addicted to much wine. Uh, I, it's interesting. You just could have said temperance again, but I, I wonder if it was the same in his day as ours, where where men's alcohol problems are often much more public and to do with guzzling beer and spirits down the pub. Uh, but for women, it's often a lot more genteel and sophisticated, and with and hidden uh, issues with wine at home. Uh, and you know, you start on just to have a glass every meal, but then you you realise how quickly you can drain a bottle and things like that. And I've I've met several women who've really struggled with that area. But either way, he's saying that older Christian women too has got to watch out for the dangers of alcohol as well. Uh, finally, the older Christian women have to be teachers. Uh, and here the intergenerational thing is quite explicit. And what God's saying is the older Christian woman has to, woman has to consider how she's going to be a trainer, an encourager and a model for the younger generations, particularly for the younger women and particularly in relation to their family lives. Uh, and so verse 4. So if they're like, the older woman's like those things in verse 3. Then verse 4, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to the husbands, so no one will malign the word of God. Now notice, I think it's fascinating, it's not Titus's job to teach the younger women. He's got to teach the old men, the old women, and the younger men. But he's not to say, he's not to be doing that with the younger women. I wonder if there's kind of an issue of propriety there, you know, that, you know, if he's meeting up with the 18-year-old girls from church you know, and doing their deep prayer times together, and you know, that this kind of opened it up for temptation or at least accusation. But I take it as also because it's the older women who understand the challenges and difficulties of, of being a wife and a mother better than anyone else. Uh, they'll understand what it's like to cope uh, with day after day of sleepless nights from crying babies and uh, how to put up with a grumpy husband when he comes home from work and just you know, puts his feet up on the table and kind of stuff like that, and how not to go mad in the face of all that, how to, how to deal with this, with stress um, and workaholism that, you know, other members of the family might have, and how to deal with teens and how to deal with a family in a godly and considerate way. It's, it's the older women who've been there, done that, who, who have some words of wisdom on that, hopefully. But what's the picture he's building up of the older Christian woman? It's, a, it's of a kind and respectable older lady who, who loves Jesus and hasn't become bitter and isolated. Uh, it's far from being hyacinth bouquet or bucket, right? Um, you know, who's what? An interfering busybody. <laughs> who's always trying to cause trouble and get her own way. You know, it's not the cranky old lady down the shops telling everyone off and hitting them with their stick and get them away. You know, it's not being a lush like the Ab Fab ladies, you know, Adina and Patsy, you know, kind of just puzzled all the time. Um, this is a woman who's someone to respect and look up to and who's actively thinking about how she can invest in the lives of others, okay, particularly the younger women. But then the last one I want to deal with now is the young men. Uh, what's, what's young men's issues? <laughs> and you might think, well, they've got lots. <laughs> um, according to 
Paul here, in his advice to Titus, they've only got one issue. What's the big issue for young men? It's actually a whopper. Self-control. They've got no self-control. Right? Similarly, verse 6, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Now, self-control has come up for all the different groups. It's the one thing that's in common with all of them. But young men especially have to work on self-control. And the word literally means to, to be directed by your mind. That is, to think before you act. Uh, to think before you speak, to be prudent. Okay, that's that's what this self-control is. Look at you, you you know what you're doing and why you're doing it, and you, you've thought about it before you do it. Uh, and it's particularly an issue for young men because they're by nature the exact opposite, right? Right? They're stupid. <laughs> I know because I'm still partly young, getting older. <laughs> yeah, young men don't think before they act, and they're all about being out of control and living on the edge, and just having fun. Young men by nature are reckless. They're reckless with their own lives, and they're reckless with the lives of others. Uh, and it manifests itself in all kinds of different ways, in being adrenaline junkies who've got an overblown sense of indestructibility. Uh, my my previous girlfriend before Alison, this is not, yeah, 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 uh, Jackie, she used to talk about um, uh, mine and other men's optimism bias. Uh, you know, we've just got this kind of view of it can never happen to me. You know, driving fast, I'm not going to crash. You know, other people are bad drivers, not me. You know, kind of thing. Uh, you see that lack of self-control sexually uh, and stuff and just thoughtlessness there. Uh, you know, we, we heard a couple of weeks ago that a third of all internet usage across the world is pornography or well, 90% of that is young men using it, okay? Because there's no control. Um, uh, you see it in the use of their time. Endless hours are just mindless Xbox. You see it in vandalism. You see it in the not caring less about anything kind of attitudes to family, friends, to whatever. And, and so the younger Christian has got to learn how to deal with those temptations and issues in order to become mature. See, Paul's got his finger on the pulse. These are the issues that we face. And, and he's training Titus so that Titus can train the different groups and particularly train the older generations to train the younger generations of Christians so they can be models and trainers and disciples of the generations who are coming up below. Now, why is it so important for Titus to teach these things and for, for the older Christians to model it for the younger ones? Well, because of verse 11, because of issues of doctrine. It's very interesting. He finishes in doctrine. Why? Verse 11, because the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us all from wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Why is it so important? Well, because Jesus came and Jesus is coming back. He came the first time. Uh, it's these issues of doctrine. He came the first time and we're living in this in-between age. He came the first time uh, to die for us on the cross, to bring us forgiveness and life, to remake us as God's children, 
right? Not so that we could go on living for ourselves, but so that we might be utterly transformed in every aspect of our lives, so that we might live for him, so that we might rejoice in him, so that we might long for him to come back. And so we would eagerly wait with expectation this arrival of our king and our saviour, our God, um, because it's in light of that, you know, he's coming back to judge the world, right? And, and when he returns, that's it for this world, okay? And, it's, and that's it for those people who don't belong to him as well. Whereas for those who are his, who've trusted him, who, you know, he's taken us to, to glory. And so it's up to us all to help and encourage the younger generations of Christians to do that. And I I just want to leave you with a few examples uh, from my own life of how people did that for me. Okay, they're all very different to each other. You know, let's go back to to who was most influential on me. What did they do? How did they take this responsibility seriously in their life, such that they invested in me as a young, younger Christian man? Um. I think of Roger, uh, who was my youth group leader. Uh, he, he is such a kind guy. He was a family guy. He's in his 30s at the time. He had, uh, well, at the start he had one little kid. By the end he had four little kids um, running around the house. But he had us rat bags over to his place as kind of 18, 19, 20-year-olds just to hang out from time to time. It was only occasionally. But then once a year he would take us late teens on holiday. Uh, uh, to his, his parents' holiday house uh, at St George's Basin and we'd go fishing and sailing and uh, it was a blast. Um, but he'd always make sure that we, uh, we, we'd have times reading the Bible and praying together as a group and just talking about stuff. Um, I think of Iris, Iris Elliott, who was a, a widow of a country vicar. She was in her 90s. I, I don't even know if she's still alive. Um, who, when I just graduated from college and went out to Windsor, uh, she took it upon herself to have me over to lunch every Wednesday uh, and uh, ask me how things were going uh, and pray with me and then give me her words of wisdom on why that sermon sucked and, <laughs> and how to deal with people and the different issues that were coming up. And she said, I've noticed, you know, so-and-so is really cranky with the ministers and I think you better go and have, you know. Just, she's just this lovely lady uh, I just she said stories about things that happened out in the country in ministry and and how they dealt with youth groups and stuff. Uh, I think of a, a complete stranger called Michael, uh, who volunteered to be a counsellor at an evangelistic rally that I happened to show up to, and he gave his time. He was a volunteer, as far as I know. He and he was the one who shared the gospel with me, uh, so they came to understand and trust. Saviour and have a fresh start with God as his child. And though I never met him again, and I can't thank him for it, I'm eternally grateful to Michael because that's the night I was saved and became a Christian. Um, I think of a man called Gordon. Uh, He was a middle-aged widower. He's in his 40s and his wife had died of cancer. Uh, He worked at University of New South Wales where I was studying. He was in the medical faculty, but he's a, a clerical guy in the office uh, and he, he was a his guy I didn't know very well at church um, and I had an accident that some of you know about I fell off a flying fox I fell two stories and broke both arms and both legs got all banged up uh, spent five weeks in traction all tied up in hospital which is very interesting you find out who your real friends are uh, 
who doesn't visit and then weirdo, strange Christians who came to say hello and encourage me. Anyway, um, but then after I was in a wheelchair for a few weeks and then on crutches for a few weeks and then on a walking stick for another year and a half afterwards. So I was pretty, pretty messed up. Um, Gordon, uh, this guy from church, knew I went to uni where he worked. And so he did a 40-minute extra drive every day each way um, to pick me up and take me and to deliver me home again. Mostly it was the years of my walking stick. Um, but, you know, he had to do with crutches and wheelchairs and things as well. Um, and there's just such this fantastic generosity. You know, a 40-minute extra drive each way, is that's a big deal. Um, but it wasn't just his generosity. As we would go to and from these long hours in traffic, uh, going, it was before all the roadworks and things, and so getting from the Shire to the eastern suburbs was a bit of a, an ordeal. Um, uh, with these long hours, we, he would he would talk with me about life and all kinds of things, the kind of stuff that Andrew and Ben, I guess, uh, have been talking about. Uh, and I'd rave about how dumb my parents were and how you know why the uni didn't know what it was doing and stupid exams and <laughs> and and girls, girls and this girl and that girl and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And uh, he'd often share with me. Uh, how he dealt with the same kinds of things. Uh, and he, in a very gentle way, he just knew the right question to ask at the right moment. Uh, and just to get me thinking through my Christian convictions and Christian principles and whether I was living them out or not. Uh, and, and more than that, he, he shared over those time, you know, those many, many hours, you know, how he dealt with the loss of his wife, what it was like to raise three sons, both before she got the cancer and, and, and you know, since, you know, what's it be like being a single dad? Uh, how to be a good dad. Uh, and, and we'd often get to uni or get back to my house and he'd pull up and he'd say, well, we should pray about whatever we were talking about. And then he'd just, two minutes, just pray. All right. Oh, thanks. You know, uh, it's just, it just a wonderful example of exactly what Titus was saying. The older Christians were are to be. Examples, models, mentors, encouragers, trainers, equippers of the younger Christians. So I guess I just want to challenge this one to think uh, we are, by and large, you know, the older members of our church and there are people coming up behind us and even within this group there's, there's a mix, right? There's older and younger here. How can we invest in the lives of those who are either younger than us or, or haven't been Christian as long so that we can yeah, point them in the right direction, help them grow in spiritual maturity to please the Saviour in the light of the fact that Jesus has come and saved us and the fact that he's coming back again one day to take us to be with him. And so let me leave you with, uh, I left the eight o'clockers with one, cha- one challenge. I'll give you three. Here you go. Um, one, who's one person you could take out for coffee or have lunch with or have over to your place even if it's just once, and just ask them how they're going as a Christian and, and perhaps pray with them at the end of that, whatever the issues come up. All right, challenge number two, come tonight. Okay, come to dinner. Come and bring, it's bring a plate to share. Show show the guys from Night Church you know, that you're interested, that you care, that you're praying for them, and it's really exciting for you that 
you know, they're going to stand up there and, and declare their faith in Jesus. Uh, and then you'll get to know them so you know who you're praying for uh, later. Um, and three, come to the men's and women's events that are coming up this term because they're both on this issue of having a ministry mindset and, and the older and the younger. Okay, we're going to tease these things out in a little bit more detail. Uh, Pineapple Man Sunday uh, is next Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock. It's going to be a great afternoon. There will be pineapples, but it's how about getting this ministry mindset. And the women's event, uh, War Room, it's a, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, we'll have a discussion later. It's going to be lunch as well in a few weeks' time. Uh, but it's about an older lady and a younger lady's kind of the guts of it. Um, and they're both learning what it means to be a Christian in relationship and, and stuff through that. It's, it's, it's really good. I'd get the men to, to watch it as well, except I think they'd be put off by the fact that it's two women in the movie. But anyway, let me pray. Father, thank you for these instructions that are weighty and challenging about being older Christian men and older Christian women and younger Christian men and younger Christian women and what, what we will struggle with and what we need to develop and work on in our relationship with you. But help us to take seriously this intergenerational aspect of church life which you have set up uh, and which you encourage us to. Help us to uh, look for those who will uh, maybe guide us and give us good advice who are ahead of us and help us to also be looking behind us about who we can be an encouragement to, who we can challenge, equip, encourage and, and talk to about being Christian in this world while we wait for the coming of the Saviour. We thank you that you've rescued us. We thank you that you're coming back. Amen.